To get a look at the people and places we're talking about in this show, and to find out how you can call or email in a tip, visit our website, downthehillpodcast.com. Sketch is not a photograph. A sketch is what we think is, is a likely rendition, composite of a human being. It is not a photograph. I can look at both of them and put them both together. I can see them, I can see them both together. And that's what I think this person probably looks like. It's not a photograph. Now, remember, we have a photograph of the neck down. That's where somebody knows who this is. I always think about that now, whether I'm with my own family or with, with, with other people, you think, gosh, dang it, somebody, if, you, if, you, if, if, we, if, we, if we had a bag on your head, somebody knows whose body that is. And we have his voice and we have his stride. Never in my lifetime did he have all three. And, and we still, this is this is monster mystery. I'm Andrew Iden, And I'm Barbara McDonald. In our previous chapters, we focused on the first few months of the investigation and learned about the what and the where, and to a certain extent, the who and how. Starting now, we move into a new era of the story. This one is all about that who. It's late June 2017, and there has been no arrest in the killings of Libby German and Abby Williams. That's crazy. I mean, Doug Carter even said at the top of the show, there's a video with audio of the suspect. At this point, there's also global media attention, dedicated internet sleuths, and an almost $250,000 reward. All that has added up to, seemingly, nothing. From this point on, we start moving through time at a much faster rate. And that starts with something police have been sitting on. Something that will send this case, and the people who follow it, into pure madness. are also examining this Snapchat photo. It was taken just before both girls disappeared. I made the announcement that the girls have been found and it was not to a good end. We are investigating this as a crime scene. Uh, we suspect foul play. Law enforcement is saying that one of the girls actually took video on her iPhone. They say it was right before she was murdered. It's amazing that we have a video, we have a still photograph, we have sound, and we don't know who this person is. It could be half of the white males in Carroll County. To the killer who may be in this room. We likely have interviewed you. We know that this is about power to you. And you want to know what we know. And one day, you will. This is Down the Hill, the Delphi Murders. Part one, gas stations and grocery stores. Looking at everybody and thinking about that sketch in your head, I think all of us here have that first drawing burned into our minds. And so anywhere you go, you're always thinking about, okay, could that be that person? Five months after this horrible crime, we finally see the face of the man police are looking for. A composite sketch was released in mid-July without much fanfare. They sent it out via press release and this is really where the rampant speculation picks up about who may have done this. Here's Sergeant Kim Riley. Remember, he's the spokesperson for the Indiana State Police. We feel this is very important because it actually gives a better view of the uh, 
the per person in the picture that you see down below, uh, it shows a little more facial features, gives you a little more information on what uh, we're looking at, who the suspect might be, and that's why we feel it is very important that this picture's out there at this time. When he says a better view of the person you see down below, physically, when he was speaking to the media, the picture on the floor beneath the sketch was the picture of the man on the bridge. Right. So they are linking the man on the bridge to this sketch, an obvious connection. Yes. So now that you have the context of this release, let's talk about what this sketch actually looks like. Because it's detailed. It is. It's pretty detailed. We heard Superintendent Carter say at the beginning of this chapter that a sketch is not a photograph, but this sketch kind of looks like a photograph. It's not in color, but you see a, a white man who appears to be in his 40s or maybe a little bit older. He's wearing a cap that has been described as, what, a newsboy cap or even perhaps a Greek fishing cap. Yeah, one of those kind um, of flatter hats. Yeah, and he's got some scruffy hair that sticks out underneath that cap. He's also got a goatee. He's not clean-shaven. He's wearing what appears to be a brown hoodie, and he looks like he has darker eyes. Do we know, as far as the sketch is concerned, how this sketch came to be? They say that it came from information from tips that they had received and from people who were in the area of the bridge around the time the girls were there. So they don't actually call them witnesses, but it certainly Kinda sounds like, witnesses. like that's what we're dealing with right. here. Um, so this sketch, what it did was, as you mentioned, set off a flurry of speculation, flurry of conversation. And, you know, at the center of all this, you still have two families who are also looking at the sketch, trying to figure out what it means. It was really interesting to see a face with the body that we had. You probably recognize Kelsey German's voice. She's Libby's sister. We knew what his walk kind of looked like and what he looked like physically, but we didn't know what his face looked like. And so putting a face with it was very eye-opening. It made it really real. And it made it so that there was a person we had to look for rather than a voice that we had to look for. Did you recognize the face? I didn't recognize it. Although I, I do think there are a lot of similarities in them. Um, in the face, it did look a lot familiar. A lot of the characteristics in it, you can see them in half the people you walk by down the street. So when I look at it, I'm like, oh, it could be this person or it could be that person, but really it could be anybody. So that was kind of something that I was struggling with, trying to figure out um, who this person could be and why it looked familiar to me. Remember Pastor Todd Ladd? He leads Delphi's United Methodist Church. I've not looked at the sketch and thought, oh, that could be. The other thing is, the reality is, it could be half of the white males in Carroll County. And so, I don't look at it and have this sense of dread or I'll say, oh, here's who it is. But there's the, also the acknowledgement that you look around and that's, that's half the white males in Carroll County of a certain age that could look that way. Diane Erskine, Abby Williams' grandmother, looks at the face in the sketch and tries, really, really tries, to make some sense of what happened out there. 
and you study that face and you look at the sketch and you look try to think about how old they are and and you know and try to make try to make some connection i you know what's the the first lesson you learn in science for every action there's a equal opposite reaction so uh, that's our, I think, our in our makeup as human beings. We're trying to justify, to rationalize. Well, this happened, so this. What is the cause? What's what's over here? What's the action that caused? Well, you that doesn't work with evil. It just doesn't. Um, there is no justification. There is no rationalization for this act. You know. I don't know what the motivation is, if there even was a motivation. I, I don't know, because it's evil. It's, and it's deceiving, and it comes to kill and steal and destroy. And so there's just, it's not a, it's not a mindset that we have. But, but as humans, we want to know what caused that. Do you think he's local? I, I, I don't honestly do not have an opinion about that. Um, <laughs> it's hard enough to go to the gas station and the grocery store and, and, and drive down the road and you see some walking by the road and uh, look at them and, and wonder. But anywhere and, and wonder. I, don't, I honestly, I don't have a thought that they are or they are not, honestly. I really don't. For Sadie Mowdy, remember, she's Libby's cousin, the release of the sketch, for the first time, made this killer not just a killer, but a person. A person that might live down the street from her. So when the sketches, the first sketch came out, did you recognize that face? No. Um, still to this day, on the phone. Okay, bring it here. Um, still to this day, it makes me sick to my stomach. I get a knot in my throat when I hear the voice, um, or see the picture, or I, I just, I don't know why, it just, that's what happens. It's a face of evil. Yeah. The, the first four or five months, I had to have my husband walk me to the car every morning. I wouldn't go outside when it was dark outside, just in fear. But in the back of my mind, I don't think it would happen at night. This was something that happened during the day, but I was just still scared. Um, It's changed a lot of people here. Um, Not only in our family circle, but the whole town. They were in fear. This would never happen here. I mean, there's three stoplights in town. But... It did. So now we all have changed. Not just one person. We have all changed. For Becky Patty, Libby's grandmother, she had, for the first time, someone to look for in town. A real, actual, live face. There's been times that you see somebody that just looks a lot like that sketch. And I can't stop myself and I were at a stoplight one time and both of us and the person felt uncomfortable and I mean knew felt it us staring so hard that they turned and looked at us but we couldn't help you can't help yourself 
You stare. You look. You scan a room. You scan anywhere you are. You go to a restaurant. You're sitting there and you're looking. While you're carrying on your conversation, you're looking. At work, when we're on the road, you look. I keep thinking, I, you know what? I, I have a job that I'm out and about a lot. And you think, oh, if only, if only I could see him. What would you do? That'd be a tough one. Well, I want to make sure we get the right person. So I'd definitely be calling 911. I would not be piddling. If I really thought it was the person, I'd be calling 911. Sheriff Tobe Lesenby. Has anybody walked into your office to say, I look like the sketch, I want to clear my name, here's my DNA? Yes, <laughs> that has occurred. A lot? Uh, I'd say less than five times that I remember. Yeah, not not all, but yeah, it has happened. And by the same token, have there been people that you've gone to check out and said, give us some DNA, and they're like, uh, I'll pass? All right, yes, we've had that. And then that's, you know, where our, our investigators pursue a, a search warrant through our prosecutor and pursue it that way legally. So is there anybody you've wanted DNA from that you haven't gotten it? No one comes to mind. Eventually we do. You know, this is something that you do not see normally in murder cases, people volunteering their DNA. You know, if if you kind of look like that sketch and you're in this small town, I can see the appeal of wanting the sheriff to say, no, 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 I already checked him out and we're good. But one of the problems with this case also is there is no public list anywhere of people who have been cleared. So those people who walked in and said, clear me, we don't necessarily know who they are. And that leaves local conjecture, which becomes kind of the gasoline on the fire, as it were, of this case. And the rumor mill. You know, the sketch is released to help find the killer and help this case. It's actually having an adverse effect. Yeah, it actually complicates things. And that's still kind of an issue today. This is also the beginning of a new phase of this story where the finger pointing, the accusations against anybody who even resembles that sketch. Or doesn't. Or doesn't, really (laughs) takes off and becomes problematic. The time for brand new Rick and Morty adventures is almost here. Wait, wait, what? This is what you've been waiting for. New Rick and Morty on Adult Swim. Part two. Sketches aren't photos. Tying us up on false leads and innuendos is not something we want. We want actual facts. We want information that's going to help us not hurt somebody else's pride or their dignity or or, uh, embarrass a family because you think he's the killer. Let us make that decision. That's what we're here for. Barb, we're going to hear 
a lot about side by sides, mm-hmm. which what those are will come into focus here shortly. But essentially, the sketch next to some random photo from somebody in town. Yeah, this is where people start taking this sketch that's been released and posting it on social media to Facebook, to Reddit, to Twitter, wherever. Blogs, you know, their own private blogs. Every sometimes, corner of the internet. Basically everywhere. And what they're doing is going through people's Facebook profiles and finding photos of people who kind of look like the sketch and then going, look, here this man lives in Delphi or doesn't, and he looks like the sketch. So you have random people being picked by other random people as a possible suspect. This is something police do not want to see happen. The investigators say it over and over. Please don't do this. Please don't send them to us. What the sketches are for is people who know this person. For them to start taking the things that they know, maybe the things that don't make sense about the person's story for where they were the day this happened. Maybe there's some other things that aren't making sense. And then the sketch comes out and they go, gosh, that kind of looks like my brother or my boss or my neighbor or whoever it is. And a lot of this speculation, as you might imagine, lives on Facebook. And we spoke with a woman by the name of Jenica Combs, who is a moderator of one of these Facebook groups that is dedicated to this case. Because it's such a big part of this story, we thought it was important to talk to her and kind of get some perspective on what these groups are doing, how they're helping or hurting the case, the discussion, how they kind of keep the discussion on the road. And Jenica is tasked with that. And she lives in Indiana, not far from Delphi, has gotten to know some of the people involved in this story. And as moderator, one of her roles is to make the rules for the groups that she moderates. And one of the things that's important to her is to not do side-by-sides. Side-by-sides, that's the number one rule in almost every group. Um, Some of them, they allow it because they like the drama that it brings, but... Basically, if law enforcement have said not to do it, then we try not to do that. So side-by-sides, if you're going to basically come up with a theory, let people know it's your theory. You know, put in my opinion or this is what I believe. Don't put information out as a fact unless you know it's a fact and you can back it up. The madness of rampant speculation continues on Facebook, Twitter, Reddit, on YouTube, everywhere, really. And by now... You understand what we mean when we call this case an ink blot. I see what I see, Barb sees what she sees, and you see what you see. And it's like that for everyone. For some, there are weird shapes forming in that ink. Jenica Combs has heard some uh, weird stuff. What are some of the crazy theories that you've heard in these groups? Oh my goodness, there's... (laughs) 15 Amish people under the bridge. There's a bridge guy is carrying a puppy in his jacket. Some of the theories are that it's local law enforcement out there and they're trying to cover up their own crimes and or it's somebody else's family and they're trying to cover up for them. Some of them are people simply guessing at what the girls' lives like were like prior. Nobody in those groups 
not nobody, but majority of the people in those groups didn't know the girls. They still don't know them. They know what they've been told, what they see. They don't really know how those girls were. And a lot of stuff comes from, I guess, trying to guess and assume that they might have been a bad kid or they might have done something, you know, not necessarily to deserve it, but to cause the actions of Bridge Guy to move forward. Right. So they sort of brought it on themselves by by playing with fire, so to speak. Right. Yeah, a lot of the groups, um, it's in all of the groups, but it's basically a, a handful of people that want to continually blame the family, continually bring up backgrounds in the past and try to link everything together. Not everything is a conspiracy. Not everything can be linked. Sometimes people just do bad things. Those side-by-sides, for Doug Carter, the message is help, don't hurt. I got several this morning. And, you know, we're encouraging people to not do side-by-sides. Because remember, you're talking about somebody you know here. We've had a lot of people that have been targeted uh, in this and really has complicated their lives. So we we encourage people to be really, really careful doing side-by-sides. Give us the name. Give us the address. Give us your thought. But don't do a side-by-side with a living human being. It makes sense. And keep in mind that, that, that a sketch is not a photograph. It's a rendition of an approximate view. Um, it is not a digital photograph. We also talked to a sketch artist, uh, not one here in your state, who said sketches really aren't for people who don't know the person. Right. They're for people who do. Oh, I love that. That's so true. Yes, that's so true, brother. That's so true. My problem is when you take somebody's picture and put it next to the drawing we had and say, this is the guy, and you have no idea who this person is, or even if you do, can you tie that person to Delphi? Here's Sergeant Kim Riley again. If you can't, why are you even trying to make something out of nothing? You want to be the big star of the show, so to speak? That's not what police work is all about. It embarrasses that person, for one, especially if you put a name with it. The next morning, how would you like to have about six phone calls that, hey, Kim Riley, I understand you're the, the, the murderer of the two girls. If you look at the Facebook, you know, I don't want to be getting those, you know, those phone calls. Well, and if it really is the killer, wouldn't that perhaps tip him off that yeah. now people are on to him and on to him. he he's, might and change he's going his to do, behavior? Yes, he's going to change his behavior. He's going to change his looks. He's going to, excuse the expression, get out of Dodge. Uh, you know, he's not going to hang around. Tell us, send that information to us. Don't send it and then put it on Facebook or put it on Facebook and then decide to send it to us. Because we're not, we look at Facebook, but we don't, that's not where we get our information. We get our information from the tip line and from the emails. And preferably, we, we prefer the emails. It's the easiest way to do it. And that's the way we, the way we want it. Because we don't have time to go on and look at every Facebook page. And, we, and most people don't have that much time. And, you know, when you're, just because we're dealing with this case doesn't mean there's not five or 10 or 15 other cases we're dealing with also. This is also where we begin to see the family members get caught up in this same cycle of these side-by-sides and people taking Facebook images of them and saying, oh, this one looks like the sketch or, oh, that one looks like the sketch. And that even caught up with Sadie Mowdy. Here's what she has to say about that. Some of them think they could actually solve this. (laughs) <laughs> Can you insert an eye roll there? <laughs> yeah, dumb people in their 
Facebook investigating, that's what we like to call it. But they don't have legal authority to do anything, so I don't understand why they think they can solve it. Somebody called a tip on in on my husband, and my husband is like 135 pounds, like, no. And we had a police officer sit down at my kitchen table and ask my husband many and many, many questions, and it was hurtful. But we were open to tell him, no, this is where we were, this is what we were doing, because we had no shame to hide, because we knew what we were doing, and we would never want to do anything like that to someone, especially someone in my family, of all things. The cop was like, I don't know why this tip was called in, but we have to follow up through this. So we're just going to ask you these questions, and if you're, I might be back if something doesn't check out, and everything checked out fine. My husband was at work that day, so. Not even Sheriff Tobe Lesenby was immune from the accusations. My name's been brought up three times in the whole process. You know, what was the sheriff doing that day? You know, uh, whether it's a, a personal issue that someone has against me, or I, I don't know where that, you know, where those three separate times where that came from. But um, as with everyone else, the, and I, you know, again, kudos to our investigators because they came to me and, hey, Sheriff, I hate to tell you this, but. <laughs> we got to check you out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, like everyone else, uh, you know, that's exactly what they did. I mean, they, they checked into the, the various individuals in our community and, you know, say, okay, you know, what, where were you basically during this time period of February 13, 2017? It seems like no one in Delphi is immune from being thrown into the conversation. And for Abby and Libby's friend Erica Gibson and her mom Amy, it's starting to wear thin. People talk without knowing <laughs> anything. Um, People just want their five seconds of fame, and that's all it comes down to. Yeah. You know, they want to throw out whatever they can to, to get their name out there, regardless if it's true, regardless of who it hurts. They just, they're, they're selfish. They don't care about Abby and Libby. Their interest is just to be the one that caught the killer and to get that money. I mean, that's all it comes down to. They don't have, they don't care all about Delphi. They don't, they don't care about the families, you know, they just. They, they all bash everybody yeah. in Delphi. Like, every person in Delphi is this, or Delphi people are this. And so, we know we're not that, you know. We come from a good town. Delphi is not bad. You know, we've never had violence like this. I've grown up here my whole life. You know, we've never had anything like this happen before, and. And, you know, everybody, you know, getting on law enforcement saying that they, you know, that they're corrupt and, and they know what happened and all that stuff. We don't believe that. The people that live here, we trust in our law enforcement. We, tr you know, we trust that they're doing everything they can. This doesn't happen here. They didn't know what was happening. You know, like, I, I would never blame them for, for anything. Mike and Becky Patty are united in this case on every front, except one how to deal with the online community. Mike says he and his wife in 30 years of marriage rarely disagree. But through all the pain and grief, this is the only thing they argue about. It doesn't bother me. It really doesn't. Because I know the truth is on my side. People can speculate 
and throw out all kinds of stuff and, and innuendos and rumors, it's not going to change the facts. And remember, right, I live in a world of facts and data. Um, while I don't like for my family and everybody else to be able to see, you know, the, the, the speculations that people put out there, it really doesn't. And, and even between the wife and I, she'll, I know it, Time she says, I don't know how it doesn't bother you. Because it doesn't. It's not the truth. There are people out there that look at this as, as, as uh, I don't know if, if they don't look at it like a, as a case, or I don't know how to, how to say it for sure, but if they would take all that energy that they spend and, and put it in a positive light, they could truly possibly help the situation. But... You know, and, and that's what I would ask people to stop and think before you post, before you do things. Is this really going to help? How, how can I help this situation? Make it better, not worse. Um, because all the, you know, the vile stuff that's been said about, you know, myself and the family, doesn't, that isn't providing any positivity towards re- getting to a resolution here. And as for some of the other things, I just think there's malicious people out there, too much time on their hands. Um, the only thing that worries me is that it's not just us, but there's other people that that they could potentially ruin their lives. You know, these people have done nothing. These are innocent people out there. There's only one guilty person. So all of these pictures and all of these people that they're sharing, you know, they're all innocent. Maybe, maybe one. Becky, I can't help but notice, you know, you've obviously both suffered unspeakable loss. But it's this ang- or this part of this story about this kind of the dreck of social media. It's the first time I've seen you visibly angry. I, I get very angry. There's uh, been so many lies, not rumors, lies brought out. There's been things, private things that have been put out there that should never have been put out there. They have invaded things that they should have never invaded. This isn't entertainment. This is our lives. So yeah, I get very angry because they, they dirty Libby's memory. to hear Becky Patty say, this isn't entertainment. These are our lives. Any story like, I mean, online trolls are everywhere. Everywhere. But we're still kind of taken aback that people have to deal with that. And some of the people who are behaving like trolls towards the family are people who do think that they're helping try to solve the case. It's it's a weird. Yeah. It's a lot of drama. Part three, a world of facts and data. We don't need, you know, 2,000 tips on, on me. I mean, I'm, my name's been mentioned now, which it, it, been, it took a while, but finally somebody put my name in there. But I mean, think about it. I mean, we, we got to 
think here, folks. We got to realize that putting somebody's picture on on Facebook or or Twitter or wherever you're putting it does not solve a crime. Let's talk about tips. Obviously, they're an important part of this story, and investigators always say they're just one away from solving this case. While they're asking the public for help, the stream of side-by-sides, theories, and speculation resulted in a slew of new tips. Tens of thousands, actually. And right now, as you're listening to this, the number continues to grow. Police tell us they look at every tip that comes in. Now, obviously, there are a lot of duplicates, and some are easily thrown out. But each one is processed. That takes resources, that takes money, and that takes people. Sergeant Kim Riley. That's the information we were getting. People were, or ex-wives, ex-husbands, you know, ex-lovers. We were getting information on them. Just because you don't like them doesn't mean that they killed those two girls. Why do you think people do that? Just to cause a hassle for them. Uh, I mean, because if we get a tip on you, we're going to have to check into it. I mean, we don't know, you know, we don't know where you were at that day. We don't know what you were doing. So we're going to, we got to send somebody out or call a department in the area because some of these tips were coming from all over the country, all over the world. Uh, and we had to have people, we, we weren't going to, tr- transport guys all over the country to do it. We'd have to call the locals, uh, departments in the area, sheriff's department, or maybe even the FBI had to send out somebody. So it was, it was tying up time and, and a lot of precious time that we really didn't have. And not just your department. Uh, yeah. Right. Yeah. All yeah. over. So right. I hadn't really thought about that. So if, if somebody sent in a tip and said, Drew Iden is the person, and you would, so then you would have to call the Atlanta Police Department who would then have to track down my employer, who would have to basically vouch for if I was working that day or not. That's, that's exactly. the extent you have to go that's to. Extent. And then if you weren't, if you were out running errands, then you got to go track down people that you talked to. Right. If we have you in Atlanta on that day, you're not going to be in Delphi. If we have you in Atlanta at the station or on an errand to go get something and you were back in an hour, that's going to cover you pretty good. But let's say you called in sick that day. Now, we got to go send somebody. First of all, we send them to your work to find out if you worked that day. And they tell us, no, he was not there. Now we got to send somebody to your house to talk to you. And you're going, Delphi, Indiana? Where in the world is that at? And now we've wasted your time. We've wasted the investigator's time here to send the information to Atlanta, to have Atlanta or the FBI or whoever wants to do it ties up an investigator for them to check on you. As the second anniversary of the crime approaches, investigators decided to use the occasion to try and help people help them. This is Nick McClelland. He's the district attorney in Carroll County and at the time, newly elected. We have uh, put up today a poster here that's to my left. Now, this is what the Unified Command believes makes a good tip. That doesn't mean, if you don't have all this information, that you don't call in the tip. Even if you don't have all this, continue to call that tip in, let investigators take that tip, and let them track down uh, what they can from that tip. So no tip is bad or irrelevant or unusable. Again, information is our main weapon here. 
Here's what we do know, 38,000 tips. He's not discouraging them, but he listed what is a good tip, what the connection is to Delphi, maybe if you have a name, if you know where they live. But he is thanking everyone for what they're doing. And if he sees something, say something. Something that stood out to me when I was there, February 2019, a week before the second anniversary, was the crime scene, the bridge. I was standing there where something happened to these two young girls, Abby and Libby. And to be there and look around and think, what is it? What did they go through? What happened? I'm here and I'm feeling that. We're back here in the writer's room at CNN Center, and we are joined by HLN's Susan Hendricks. And Barb, I know you and Susan did a lot of the reporting for the network in the, you know, in the early days of its coverage on this case. And so I wanted to ask you both, and Susan, we'll start with you. Can you tell us a little bit about your early impressions of this story, kind of when it crossed your radar and when you kind of jumped on the case? When I heard, Susan, you're going to Delphi, I took a moment to remember what case this was. And then it clicked. I thought about Libby hitting record on her cell phone. Then it came back to me what case this was, two young girls in Delphi, murdered, unsolved, and I'm going with Barbara. And let's just say Barbara and I got to know each other very well right away. You're bonded Mm -hmm. in this small town. You meet the families. You see where this horrific crime took place, and you feel completely different. The family was very open, very welcoming, and it was feelings that I've never felt covering a story before because you felt... You like these people. You, they were gracious. Then you see where this took place, and they tell their stories, and it's unsolved. So it's a combination of so many feelings in the small town of Delphi. Barb, when you were with Susan, I know that you know when you grab a bag and go jump on a case or a story or whatever, there's a lot of logistics. But in terms of the actual story, what was, what was that early kind of feeling like in town? We encountered a lot of of really wonderful people who wanted to share the story and were appreciative of media attention to get the facts of the case out there, knowing that they needed help to get this solved. And sort of our early entry into the story was via Kelsey German, Libby's Mm -hmm. sister. Um, In early 2019, she had really sort of taken off with her social media advocacy for this case. And that's what got my attention and saying, maybe we should go and meet these people and see if we could use our platform to give them some help in getting awareness. And so that's what we did. And we spent just a couple of days on the ground. It was very cold, Mm -hmm. but um, the graciousness of everyone we encountered, you know, we, we sat at the same table where Libby sat with her family and had meals. Becky prepared a hot lunch for us, which was really wonderful because I think that was the only meal we had that day. We were running around so much. But um, you go there and you you walk alongside these families. You can't help but pick up this story and it becomes part of your heart too. You can't let it go. You guys are there two years after the murder. Was there a feeling of optimism or you know, positivity about an arrest or any kind of resolution? When we were at Libby's home and Becky made us that meal, I was thinking, as Barbara mentioned, in that kitchen, picturing Libby sitting around the table. That was her home. She was there. Um, 
they were very open talking about what type of girl Libby was, what Abby was like. Not much talk about an arrest or the sketch was mentioned in the kitchen in Libby's home. Walk into Tobe Lesenby's office, the sheriff, the sheriff, and I see the sketch and I see the person who did this, at least a sketch of him. And I see that it's torn and it's ripped a little and I'm looking around his office and that's when it hit me that, wow, this is almost two years to the day and this is not solved. And this is a small town and this guy is still out there. And this case is still front and center. I mean, he's got the pictures up in his office. Everywhere you go in town, there's pictures of the girls or the sketch of the suspect with the information about how to call in a tip. And Barb, that's when you got a text message. I did. One afternoon here at work, got a text message from one of my sources saying, can't tell you why, but you need to be in Delphi on Monday. It was Easter weekend, and Susan and I immediately booked our airfare. And I got a text from Barbara saying, we're going back to Delphi. And I thought, so soon after. This is big. This is huge. I had no idea, though, just how big it would be and what a sharp turn this case would take. And, you know, Barb and I have used the words big, big moment, sharp turn. We've used them multiple times in this case. But there is none that is perhaps bigger or sharper nope. of a turn than the one that occurred two months later. Directly to the killer who may be in this room. We believe you are hiding in plain sight For more than two years, you never thought we would shift gears to a different investigative strategy, but we have. In our next chapter, there's a new direction, a totally new direction. Down the Hill is written and produced by Barbara McDonald, Dan Sematovich, and me, Andrew Iden, with original music and scoring by Shuvo Sir, and production support from associate producers Michael Dudley and Kayleen Chassie. Sherry Seldes is our senior production manager. If you want to see the people, places, and things we've been talking about, visit our website, downthehillpodcast.com. Brian Bell is HLN's senior director of programming, and Tyler Moody is the vice president of the Warner Media Podcast Network. A special thanks to the people of Delphi and the members of law enforcement who are in charge of solving this crime. And most important of all, a big thanks to you. We appreciate you listening. <laughs> 